Good morning. We are in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, and it goes like this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, it will be judged to you. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not see the log that is in your own eye? And how do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So the Sermon on the Mount, as a whole, is an overwhelming set of to-dos. Jesus' ethical teaching is paradoxical because it is not what you need to do to earn your spot in his kingdom, but rather it is who you are increasingly becoming if you walk through life with Christ as your king. So today, as we add yet another challenging instruction onto the heap behind us, judge not, I'd ask for you to hit pause on your self-assessment. It's easy to hear this and go, judge not. Okay, how am I doing? One to 10 on judging or not judging, right? We do want to be transformed by Jesus's words. And yet that often doesn't happen on a weekly perfectionist like uh, schedule. And so our goal today is to get Jesus's teaching into us. Just let it saturate us one layer deeper this week. Because for many of us, this is our first or second time deeply engaging with Jesus's words. So rather than assess ourselves based off of our mastery, our goal is to let it like expose our hearts to it. Let it saturate again and again. And the more that we do that, the more we let it seep into us, the more that your life will be flavored with the instructions of Jesus. And this instruction will flavor how you judge. So if you and I are open to Jesus's teaching today, he's going to do a couple things. He's going to give you and I clear eyes for helpful discernment. If we're open to his teaching, he's going to make us into a merciful presence. And he's going to make us able to receive healing, both for ourselves and for others. So these are our three main points, plus one bit of application. Point number one, that we need discernment meaning the ability to judge well and see clearly. We also need healing, point number, or excuse me, we need mercy, point number two. And point number three is that we need healing. And as I say, we need discernment and we need um, uh, mercy and we need healing. None of that do I mean you need to do better discernment. You need to do better mercy. Rather, what we're saying is we have a hole. We have a need inside of us. And we're asking God, will you give me clear discernment. God, will you give me mercy? Will you give me healing? And then we're going to look at some application. So where we're going to start is reading this again, getting it fresh on our minds and our tongues, and then we're going to dive in. So this is Matthew 7, verse 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? 
you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And don't give dogs what is holy, and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, just first glance, it would appear that Jesus is saying, judge not, right? Like those words are there. Um, He then says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but don't see the log in your own? And those two things by themselves seem like he's saying, he's just putting a general kibosh on all judgment, right? Now, the the Greek and the English word um, used here for judge um, essentially means the ability to decide, or the ability to tell the difference between two things. Most often meaning the ability to see the difference between right and wrong, between good and evil. So in a legal sense, you can judge someone wrong, guilty. And that's good, right? We want judges who have clear discernment between good and evil, right and wrong, and who can through justice act upon that. That is a good thing that we want. Now. Consider, though, how dangerous it would be if you either have an inaccurate perspective, your measure of right and wrong is a little bit skewed, or if you have no authority with which to make a judgment in the first place. That's very much Jesus' rationale here. He's saying that we need clear perspective and we need to know who is the true judge. And so for our sake, when Jesus says, do not judge, we're gonna divide that into two words, okay? We're gonna take it um, to one way, meaning condemnation, right? That is the misuse of judgment, where you have either improper perspective or improper authority and you are condemning, or discernment, meaning it's proper use. You have proper perspective and understand your authority or your proper place among authority. So we're gonna take Jesus's words and we're gonna use the word condemn in place of judge just for the sake of clarity. So Jesus says, we should not condemn. Condemn not that you be not condemned for with the condemnation you pronounce, you will be condemned. And with the skew toward condemnation that you use, that same skew toward condemnation will be used towards you. And in this next phrase, why do you condemn your brother for the speck in his eye, but ignore the log in your own? We see very clearly that this is just like a critical spirit, right? A a willingness, a desire to judge and condemn others. It's the quickness to see the worst in others and to, because of that, write them off in our minds or our lives. And this form of condemnation that Jesus is speaking against with poor perception and poor authority, it degrades the worth of others, whether it's used in a small way or a large way, it degrades the worth of others. So clearly Jesus is prohibiting condemnation, but he's also actively encouraging clear discernment or clear vision, the ability to distinguish between things in a thoughtful and a mature way. And we see this in all three phrases that Jesus uses, it's very clear. First phrase, judge not, for with the judgment that you pronounce, it will be judged to you. This is a call to clearly discern who is the proper judge. At the end of the day, who's really in the seat of judgment? Is it you or someone else? His second phrase, he says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to second, take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's encouraging us to see clearly so as to help our brother. And the third phrase, 
which is the most obscure, and we'll, we'll go through it, is don't give to dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, dogs, pigs, pearls, like all of that is definitely confusing, but it appears that Matthew chose to place that within the context of how we judge and how we see. And we see, again, this has to do with those two things because you need to know what is holy and what is not. Who are dogs and who are not? Who are pigs and who are not? What are pearls and what are not, right? There's judgment, discernment baked into the, the main message of that passage. So we're gonna pause and just spend some time on that section because it's the most not, not understandable within the context of the whole. So this first line, do not give dogs what is holy. So likely when Jesus says, don't give dogs, meaning an unclean animal of the street, what is holy, he's using an image of what is holy being the food offerings of the temple the offerings that were set aside as holy for use within God's temple, either for offering or to feed the priests. And so dogs, in contrast to that, represented what was ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And so this image of giving, using what is consecrated as holy for a use that is unclean, it's this image of disrespecting God's intended use for something, taking holy things and using them for unclean purposes. And then he says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. And a helpful parable or parallel within Matthew that um, though it might not be perfect, I think he gives us some grounding and some evidence is in Matthew chapter 13. Um, I'm just gonna kind of fly right over that. But if you wanna note that down, it's in Matthew 13. Um, and there's this parable where Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one of great value, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that pearl. And so that could be what Jesus is talking about with pearls here is the kingdom of God. And now where I see this parallel as being evidence is two paragraphs later, the conclusion of chapter 13, Jesus goes to his hometown and he's already told us how we should respond to the gospel, how we should respond to the kingdom of God is with earnestness. We seek it. We sell all that we have. Above all else, we give ourselves to that. He says, this is how you should respond to the kingdom of God. This is what it's like to chase a pearl. And then he goes home. And in the end of chapter 13, two paragraphs later, it says that Jesus finishes there. He goes to his hometown. And while he's there, he teaches and he preaches. But due to their unbelief, due to their lack of response, he only teaches shortly, he does no miracles, and then he moves on. Now, if the kingdom of God should be responded to with earnestness, should be responded to with repentance, and instead, even in his hometown, is received with apathy or aggression, Jesus says, and he does, move on. So it would seem that don't, throw, don't give dogs what is holy, don't throw your pearls before pigs. There are these images suggesting that we use mature judgment regarding the sharing of the gospel with wisdom, with discernment, with the Spirit's guidance, 
we can discern people's responses to the kingdom of God or the message of the kingdom of God and act accordingly. And within that, there's probably also this idea of like what it looks like when you and I are pushy, meaning um, if you and I are undiscerning with how we share the gospel, if we throw our pearls before pigs, so to say, people may turn and attack. So if you and I know someone is opposed to the gospel and you and I immaturely throw it in their faces, how should we expect them to respond? And Jesus by no means is suggesting that is their forever response to the gospel. He's not suggesting we condemn them outright. I think he's talking about our in the moment emotional intelligence. In the moment, how will you conduct yourself with the gospel? Will you use it well with discernment or will you throw it about and abuse it? And I wanna point out here that there's a difference between someone's aggression due to your immaturity. There's a difference between that and persecution. Those things are separate. And all of this is complex, right? All of it requires significant maturity to handle this well. And I think this is pointing earlier in Jesus's sermon to Matthew 5, verse 48, where he says, be perfect as your father is perfect, meaning be mature as your father is mature. He's saying we need maturity. We need to live a lifestyle that's ongoingly in relationship with Christ that will make us into the kind of people that see clearly, discern well, and use the gospel in a loving and a merciful way. I think he will turn us into presences that are loving rather than presences that are condemning. Now, before we move on, I just think it's worth asking the question of like, how do you and I improve our discernment, right? If my, my discernment's not very good, how do I get better at that? So the first thing I wanna point out is that you and I don't need to improve our discernment so we're more impressive to God. What we actually want is to come to Christ with our lack of clear eyesight, with our lack of discernment and say, Father, will you change me? I submit my opinions to you. Abiding with him and trusting safe relationship is the thing that changes us over time. As we prayerfully trust him and allow our opinions to be changed, as we look at his scriptures to model discernment, he will reveal the logs within us that create blindness. I think there's one clear log that Jesus is talking about that does create blindness in us. And the log in our eye is probably the fact that you and I forget that we need mercy. Which brings us to our second point. When Jesus says, judge not. If we put a, a period there, like our, our culture has kind of interpreted, Jesus is saying, like, don't judge me. You don't know me. Like, you can't, you can't judge my lifestyle. Right? If we put a period there, that's the conclusion we get. And what we feel is like, Jesus is just saying, like, don't be judgy. Don't be mean. Like, let people do whatever they want. Um, but clearly Jesus is saying more than that because he says, judge not that you be not judged. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So I think the, the real thing within this whole context is Jesus wants to, us to see our role, our position is underneath a greater judge and a greater authority. 
So you and I might feel like the judge here and now, but the final judgment actually occurs underneath a true authority. So whether you or I or our neighbors acknowledge this or not, the basis of reality is that God is an authority above us. And as judge, as authority, Jewish tradition talks about God as having two measures. His measure of justice, meaning like the the removal of the destruction of what is evil and the pursuit and the promotion of what is good, or mercy, meaning like motivated by love, rather than giving us consequence, he gives forgiveness. So Jewish tradition says he has a measure of justice and he has a measure of mercy. And what if you and I were judged by the measure of justice alone? Mercy is not in the picture. So if there was a day where you and I were judged by justice alone and there was a proper balancing of accounts and we were asked how much pure and selfless good have you been a part of? How much pure and selfless good has existed in your head and heart? Versus how much pain have you caused? How much how many evil thoughts, even in flickering manners, have existed in your head and heart? What if the, the Sermon on the Mount was the metric for our performance, where Jesus says unrighteous anger is equivalent to murder? Lust of the eyes of the heart is equivalent to adultery, right? Greed is equivalent to like stealing, right? Like if that was our measurement, and we are measured by justice alone, there is only one possible pronouncement. Guilty. I'm not that bad. Guilty. No, you should see them. Guilty. If we receive the measure of God's justice alone, there is a single pronouncement. Guilty. Now, I think if you and I are honest, we probably already know that. So we don't need to be convinced of that. But we probably do need to be convinced to look that reality in the face long enough for our hearts to respond. To feel guilty long enough to feel the true response or the only proper response to that, which is God have mercy on me, a sinner. So if there's justice and mercy, there's a form of justice that seeks retribution, that wants payback. But God's justice is rarely about any of that. His justice It's about restoration and his justice is motivated by mercy because those two things for God are intertwined, right? If God has a measure of justice and of mercy, I think it's possible that what Jesus is saying here is that God has a preferred mixture of those things. He has a preferred way of using those things, which is using his justice motivated by mercy, seeking restoration. The reason I think that because of John chapter three, verse 16, which many of us are familiar with. It says, for God so loved the world, 
he gave his son that whoever believes in his son shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn it, but in order that the world would be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. God so loved the world. That is his primary motivation. And through it, he extends mercy. But all of that doesn't come without cost to himself. John 3 says the doorway into God's mercy is his son whom he sent. And if we remember the Sermon on the Mount is that son. It is the literal king sent to extend mercy and salvation to the world. This is the man, the one telling us, judge not that you be not judged, is the man who came to the world that it would not be condemned, but that it would be saved through him. So there is judgment between what is light and what is dark, what is good and evil. And remember, you and I want that. We want a judge who sees clearly, who has the authority to separate good and evil. I want to show you guys a quick three-minute video, and I have chosen this because, one, it's funny, and I think it's just easy to engage with, but two, it really beautifully and bluntly captures this reality that in the moment of God's judgment, in the moment of his justice, even in that moment, he is extending mercy, mercy. Even in that moment, through his mercy, he's made a way for you and I to stand before God and have a justification that is entirely outside of ourselves. Would you guys play that video? The Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? 
And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. So this video is like humorous, right? But as, as funny and as humorous as this is, it's also accurate. And part of that means that it carries a hard reality for non-Christians. But it also carries good news. The hard reality is that on the day of judgment, each of us will stand called to account. And anyone without Christ can only say, I. Look at my record. Judge me according to my righteousness. Look at the sum of my life. But the good news, like if that's you, if you're realizing that, the good news, is what if I told you that you could stand before that exact same good judge, the, good, the judge that we want, that separates good from evil, light from dark, and you could say to that judge, Judge me according to his life. Look at his record. He said I can come. He has the perfect life that I will never have. But he said he'd do it for me. And this, like, that is the good news that is embraced by followers of Christ. That is literally the only thing that it means to be a Christian. There's a lot more that's good, but that is what it means to be a Christian is to say before God, he said, I can come. It's all I bring to the table. He said, his righteousness. And so the good news, if, whether you wanna receive that or if you've already received it, the good news is that under any form of judgment before God or your own internal voices or someone down the street, when you and I are asked for any reason, on what basis do you stand? The only saving answer based in reality is, him. I'm loved because of 
him. I'm forgiven because of him. I'm healed because of him. I am holy because of him. And I'm a son or a daughter of the king because he. And that reality, when we absorb it and we live by that, it saves us from despair, the hopelessness of the guilt that I, whether that's past, present, or future, I is wiped away by the reality that he saves us from despair, but it also saves us from arrogance. The arrogance that says, I've built up a platform of I and I've done and you need to do and you should do. And the reality is he. It saves us from a condemning judgmental spirit because the log in our eye is probably our own self-righteousness. It's forgetting that the cross is the only thing that has justified us. It's thinking that we have any form of self-righteousness with which we can judge and condemn others. So when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, it's an opportunity to use God's preferred judgment rather than our own. So why does Jesus say, don't judge, don't judge others? Is it because they're acceptable? Is it because they're perfect? Like, no. We give mercy because he asked us to give mercy. In John 3, he says, I have come not to condemn them, but that they would be saved through me. In the same king, he says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all I've commanded you. So as you and I go to all nations, the only gospel that we have to offer the world is this. He said, you can come. All of your mess, all your junk, he still said you can come. He knows. He said you can come. First, remove the log from your own eye. When we see clearly ourselves through the lens of the cross, our log is removed. We become humble. We become clear-sighted because it was Christ alone who saved us and it was Christ alone who will save them. And now, because we see ourselves clearly, we're able to bring the gospel with no condemnation, with no skewed vision or skewed measure. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And now, because we clearly see others through the cross, that the cross is the only thing that they need and that will save them, we become less judgmental. We become more merciful. We become quick to forgive and we become quick to serve. And again, pointing us at Matthew 5, verse 48. All of this is growing us in the direction. Be perfect and mature as your father is perfect and mature. And that sentence comes on the heels of this teaching where Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. Therefore, be mature and perfect as your heavenly father is mature and perfect. Jesus is tying directly the way that we love our enemy, those that we think don't deserve it at all. And he's saying, I know they don't deserve it, but I say they're worth mercy. I say they can come. Would you carry that same message? 
And that is a sign of spiritual maturity. And that is hard, right? This message is hard and it requires maturity. It, it feels counterintuitive. But the good news for you and I, as we walk this out, is that Jesus doesn't only send us on mission with command. He doesn't only say, go and be perfect. He sends us with his presence as we abide and rest in him. And he sends us having first received healing, which is our final point, because like, why do you and I judge? There's a real connection between our internal pain and our internal wounds and the self-defenses that motivate us to judge others. Some of those things might be, like this is just a short list, like we might have an internal pain or an internal wound of fear. Like we feel intimidated by people. Like I feel this all the time at, at dinner parties, you know, the cool guy like starts chatting or, or maybe you're on the street and you see someone that's a little bit scary, you don't really wanna go up to him. And what judgment does is it creates safe distance. I don't have to talk to that person. Like they're, ugh. oh, this person like that intimidates me. Like, well, I can create safe distance through judgment. We also probably feel insecurity, right? And unhappiness with who we are. So what judgment does is it creates a place of safety in comparison. I feel safer with who I am because they're not that good. It's also a weird one where like a pain of loneliness can actually drive us to being judgmental. I just think about the ways that uh, it's easy to connect through judgment. Think of celebrity gossip, how easy it is to chat and make friends over that or political gossip or church gossip. They actually like in, they, they solve our loneliness by creating easy and safe forms of connection. And there's one more that there's probably more, but this is one that I thought of that we, in some ways we desire change in a good way. We want things to be different. We're, we're jealous for the things that God has to offer us. And what judgment towards others does is it makes us feel a little bit closer. I want to be more merciful, but boy, I'm a heck of a lot more merciful than that person, right? It makes us feel closer to who we want to be. But what's important is all of these, and there's likely more, is all of these are areas of pain areas where we feel the wound on the inside that motivates us to judgment. But also, there's likely pain in others that motivates them in judgment towards us. And so Jesus of Nazareth is not saying, repent of your pain. He's saying, I wanna heal your pain. I wanna take the log out of you. I wanna heal your pain and the reason we trust him to do that is because he is the only one who has perfectly clear eyesight. He has clarity of vision. He has no sin. He has no logs in his eye. We don't need to question his judgment nor his motivation. We know that he desires mercy and healing for us. And so some of the ways that he heals us actively in our Christian life is through the gift of the cross and his resurrection, he gives you and I new identity. We're no longer outcast or stranger, but now you and I are son and daughter of the king. We are in the family. Even on our worst, like hissy fit days, 
our most rebellious days. You and I are in the family because of him, not because of us, because of him. And so through the safety of that position, the safety of that love, we no longer need the safety of comparison. We no longer need the safety of proving ourselves through our performance, proving ourselves in comparison to someone else. We no longer need the safety of distance because he makes us safe. And he helps us by giving us rest from our own internal judgment, right? Those loops that play in our minds. You should be better. You should do this. You should, right? Judgment, judgment, judgment. He gives us rest by saying, even if you fix all that, all you need to bring is him. Just he said, he gave himself for you. And that judgment, those cycles just, they don't always stop, but they peter, right? There's moments of grace where they stop. And he heals us through safety and intimacy with him. Meaning as we abide in his presence, spend time with him, he gently removes the ongoing logs and specks. We have safety and intimacy as he heals us. And the result of all of this healing through a new identity, rest from self-judgment, as we have safety and intimacy to abide with him, what it does is it makes us able to see clearly in order to help others, right? then you can help your brother take the speck out of his eye. In our humbleness and our empathy, now we're able to be received and bring the healing of Christ. We're better able to bring the gospel and with it, healing. And I think Jesus is saying there's two ways you can bring the gospel. You can either bring the gospel with yourself as judge. You can elevate yourself to the position of judge and bring the gospel. Or you can let God be the rightful judge and with him as a position of authority, bring the gospel. And if you and I elevate ourselves and we create a platform for ourselves as judge, I think ultimately we become agents of condemnation. Because look at everything I've done. You should do what I do. You need to do what I do. You need to fix this. And when we judge others accordingly, we are condemning. And what this is doing is this is interrupting the flow of God's grace in the universe. We are standing as barriers to God's grace when we are judge. And not only that, when we are judge, we are self-deceiving. And it will only lead to either despair or arrogance. But if we elevate him as judge, we become an agent of the mercy that God wants to give. Through humble self-awareness, through awareness of God's desire to give mercy, not because they earned it, because he earned it and is giving it to them. We become aligned with the flow of God's grace in the universe. We become bridges for people to enter the family of God and receive healing. And so some questions for you and I to consider if we, as we want to transition away from condemning and being agents of condemnation towards being agents of mercy, if we want to help build bridges for God's grace so others can join his family, as we disciple all nations, here are a few questions. And with these questions, um, we're not going to spend much time. We're going to kind of give them and then conclude. And so I would encourage you to write these down in, in your time of abiding or devotions, or your quiet time this week, whatever that looks like, spend some time with him. Question number one, who do I 
most easily judge? Who do I judge most easily? And a follow-up to that is, why? What is the wound that's being pointed on or pointed to that Jesus wants to heal? The second question is, who do you feel most judged by? Who do I feel most judged by? Who's the one actively judging me? And again, ask, why? What do they gain through judging you? Where is the place of wounding, the place of pain in them that is causing them to judge? And does that give you mercy for them? And the last one is with both of those hard questions, just ask, God, help me discern what to do. I don't know how to handle this. Thoughtfully, motivated by his mercy, consider. It could be that you need to ask for forgiveness. That you've been a barrier to God's grace in the universe and you've been condemning and keeping people out of God's grace. And you need to say, I'm sorry. It also could be that you've received judgment and condemnation from someone. And this is an opportunity to see the wounding and engage like yet again. It might mean that you need to absorb that anger or the defensiveness or whatever it is that's leveraged at you. It might mean you need to absorb that for the sake of extending mercy. And there's maturity there. There's all sorts of situations where, like Jesus says, don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. There might be some of those, but it might be a situation where you need to take it for a bit in order to extend mercy to someone that doesn't deserve it. Not because they've earned it, because he's giving it to them. So as you and I assess ourselves by these questions, as you and I stumble our way through judgment and discernment, as we grow into maturity in this area, like here's where we rest. Here's where we will always rest. It's not, have you perfected your judgment? Have you perfected your discernment? Where we will always rest, the basis we will always stand on is he. He said, I can come. He said, he loves me. He makes me holy. His life, his mercy, and his judgment. Would you pray with me? Father, um, Jesus, you are good. Uh, the fact that I can stand here a sinner in need of mercy, that I, like the Sermon on the Mount says, can be full of, of condemnation and lust and anger, like me in this moment being full of those things, can somehow simultaneously say, I am a saint before the eyes of God. Not because of me, not because I'm, I'm preaching or I know my Bible, but because he, because Jesus washes me clean. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Guys, we, at the end of every teaching, spend like five to 10 minutes in question and response. Uh, and that's not only questions like for me and like my response, this is how do we, what questions do we have that we wanna point at the text or maybe I might be able to help answer? What responses do you have? Do you have responses of, of celebration, responses of good news, responses of conviction? Uh, 
So we're gonna spend about five minutes here. Um, there's two ways you can do that. The slide's down, but you can email or text questions at alloflife.church. You can email or text. Uh, if you go that route, it takes about 90 seconds to go into the computer and back up here. So I'm just gonna take a moment to first ask, is there anyone who wants to raise their hand with either a question or a response? Yeah. Can I give you an example of logs and specs? Some examples of logs and specs. No. Um, I would say probably the most important one is the one that I've already identified, that the, probably the greatest log in our eye is our self-righteousness. The greatest log in our eye, the thing that keeps us from viewing ourselves is a assumption that we're better than we are. And so when we have clear ground, we have the safety of relationship with Christ that says, I can get off my pedestal of righteousness and I can stare face to face my need of mercy. All of a sudden, I'm gonna be able to see the specks and the logs. And those things will probably in that moment be overwhelming. Holy, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I'm doing that and that and that and that. How could I ever stand before, Christ, before God clean? And in that moment, it's, he said, I can come. Some uh, commentators say that um, the speck in someone's eye to that person is a log, right? When you take a little thing and put it in front of your eyeball, even if it's small, it feels huge. And so they'll say like kind of like even small sins are actually great sins because all sin is sin, right? There's no like hierarchy of, oh, you're only kind of sinful. You're not guilty anymore, right? It's, you're sinful guilty. Um, and some commentators also kind of, I, I think this is funny, they'll say like the image of a log um, is actually a building term that means rafter. Think of a rafter. And, and I think, and, and they'll say that that's not an exaggeration. Your sin in your life is literally a rafter of condemnation. It's that big. Your sin isn't this big. Your big, your sin is like, and that's why we need the mercy of Christ. <laughs> Um, that's a great question though. Any, any other questions? Uh, any digital questions? In 1 Corinthians 2.15, it says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. How does 1 Corinthians 2.15 work with what we just studied in Matthew? Yeah, um, I think for the sake of time, I'm not, let me see. I just wanna read this really quickly for context. If you guys wanna flip there, 2 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 2.15. <clears throat> These things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person, person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And now you and I have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit from God, and that we might understand, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, meaning his mercy and his grace and his spirit. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. But the natural person does not accept the things of God, for they, our folly to him. 
And he, the, person, the natural person, is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things. I lost my place. But is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But you and I have found the mind of the Lord. And then it continues to talk about church division and unhealthy relationships within the church. And so what this is essentially saying is, it's not saying um, spiritual people have everything right, right and can do whatever they want. What it's saying is that out of God's mercy, he has given us his spirit to help us discern the things of the world, light from dark. I think many of us feel this in our culture. Our culture doesn't know what's up from down because the spiritual things feel like folly to them because the spirit of God is not in them to provide perspective. So this is again, getting back to where's your eyesight coming from? Where's your judgment coming from? And so, uh, but is himself to be judged by no one? It's very much like, why are they judged by no one? Because he put his spirit inside of you. So you are clean and holy and in the family of Christ, no matter what anyone tells you. Now go and be humble and self-aware and repentant and kind, right? (laughs) Um, Last question, if we got time for it. Should judging others be a rare thing for me to do? Um, I'm gonna go back to one of my first points. Let's just, for the sake of ease, judge that, or take the word judgment and divide it into two categories. Condemning with skewed perspective and no authority or discerning with spirit-directed judgment and clarity, right? So should you condemn others with no perspective or authority? Should that be rare? Absolutely, right? Should you regularly discern the things of the world through the spirit of Christ within you? Absolutely, 100%, every waking moment of your life. Um, and I w- one more tag on there. Remember at the very end, we talked about being an agent of condemnation versus an agent of mercy. If the result of what you're doing is being a barrier to God's grace in the universe, and you're acting as an agent of condemnation, be a conduit for God's grace through his mercy, not because they've earned it, but because he has so loved the world that he came not to condemn, but he came to save. With that, Father, thank you for the fact that your Bible and your scripture is full of good news from page one to the end, that you are a God of mercy and justice intertwined, that we do not need to be afraid of you, because though your eyesight cuts to the bone and to the heart, and we have only one pronouncement of guilty. You've sent your son, you've made a doorway that all we have to do is say, he said, I can come. Father, would you transform us, convict us, free us of our own self-judgment? Spirit, you are good and we love you. Amen.